0: devoid of basic financial culture, I guess you might say, and actually survive and thrive. And, and, and because these platforms allow you for such lightning fast growths, you could envision a circumstance where someone creates a business, has no understanding of a, what an income statement is or a balance sheet, nor do they care, and has a seven figure business or whatever, and then are, is ready to exit smart e-commerce
1: operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business but a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money the profit habits workbook by jason miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions for a limited time we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.
0: We are Michael Veazey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you
1: are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Ladies and gentlemen, today's topic is going to be of interest, I think, to those who are buying businesses, but also who own a business they may wish to sell one day, which is nine vital financial metrics that I tend to look at when I'm evaluating a business, either because I'm going to consider buying it, or on behalf of my clients. And I think some of these KPIs are things that as operators, we can easily take our eyes off, but when you're buying, they're very much the first thing you look at. So hopefully it'll be a helpful corrective in operators out there as well. So Jason, are you up for this topic?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a great one. I really like it. KPIs, for those who don't know, key performance indicators. And, uh, yeah, this is gonna be a, a fun conversation. I know it can, math can get daunting to people and some of this stuff can feel too theoretical. So we'll try to keep it real down to earth, real practical and hustle through this list of nine efficiently so that you get the real gist of the idea, which is how to evaluate a business using the mathematics that you're presented with. Yeah. Excellent. Well, talking of getting on with it, then
1: let's try and keep things as simple as possible. So the first thing I wanna say is pretty simple. Financial metrics trump marketing ones. And that is kind of should be obvious <laughs> to any business owner, but when you're very wrapped up in a particular platform or a particular business model, so especially if you, for example, sell on Amazon, you start worrying about uh, ACOS, which is a number that nobody outside the Amazon sphere knows what that even means It's advertising cost of sales. And you suddenly get round up in a lot of marketing metrics, which are really important, and I'm not saying they're irrelevant, but today we're really focused on the finances. So I think it's really important to to boil everything marketing metric down if you like their leading metrics, but they should have a trailing financial metric. Uh, If they don't have a financial effect, then ultimately they're a waste of time anyway. So that's the first
0: thing. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure where you're headed with that when you had that in the note to to describe. So let me unpack it a little bit. I I would present it a little differently. What I would say is your profit and loss statement and balance sheet, You know the, the, the high level financials of the business trump everything. And a lot of the KPIs that you'll dig out of the back end of Seller Central and Amazon or the Shopify analytics information, that's a uh, supporting evidence, you could say, to the top level financials. And um you should see harmony and resonance between the two. But to your point, yeah, you can't just get, you know, if you have a business, for example, that has on Shopify, an average order value of $4,500, be like, wow, that's the highest average order value I've ever heard of that doesn't trump the fact that the PL might be a complete letdown, right? So t- that's, I guess the point you're trying to get at, is that right?
1: Yes, exactly. Now, I think you put it better than me. They should be in harmony. Uh, they mm-hmm. certainly should support each other, but in the end it has to translate to numbers or well, financial numbers, because otherwise, you know, you're either not going to have somebody intelligent, give you cash for it, or certainly if a lender's involved and they normally are in big purchases. The lenders are obviously, you know, by their nature, financially numbers driven. Mm-hmm. And then they lend on lots of different types of businesses in some cases. And, and the, the thing they have in common is balance sheets and profit and loss and cash flow statements, mm-hmm. as you say. So what they don't have in common is that they're online marketing businesses. The same lenders may went to things mm-hmm. with no online presence at all. So the only universal constant for businesses is really the profit and loss and, and, and exactly as you say. Yeah. Which implies obviously you've got to have one. It sounds crazy, but I did know <laughs> one, one business owner of uh, an Amazon type business who did about um, seven yeah. figures a year in revenue and didn't really have
0: any books I think he's corrected that now. It's, it's not free. <laughs> okay. Here's how it's not crazy. Here, here, I'll make the, I'll make the case that the, the yes. I'll still man the argument for not ever having a profit and loss statement. You can start an e-commerce with absolutely no business background. And you basically have the understanding of a personal checking account, savings account mindset, and you start in e-commerce and the tools and systems make it possible for you to scale something so darn quickly that you can operate in an ecosystem like Amazon or Shopify devoid of basic financial culture, I guess you might say, and actually survive and thrive. And, and, and because these, platforms allow you for such lightning-fast growths, you could envision a circumstance where someone creates a business, has no understanding of a, what an income statement is or a balance sheet, nor do they care, and has a seven-figure business or whatever, and then are, is ready to exit. And the tools that we would commonly hear from in business school or in banking work, that kind of thing, you know, the, the, the standard financial, you know, tools, They would not be familiar with and, and fair enough. (laughs) They didn't need it and and they didn't have to have it. I remember when we started our business, we did not have an income statement Hmm. and we certainly didn't have balance sheet, nor did we care about balance sheet for so long, you know, but we didn't have an income statement until my friend and mentor said to me, what do you, what's your, you know, P and L look like? And we're like, what does that mean? (laughs) And I had an MBA, but I was like, it didn't make, it didn't, it didn't apply to what we were doing on ebay Toy until tape, until i needed it to apply and then other people would look at it and bankers or s- buyers or whatever would look at your business and then you're like oh this is the financial universal instruments this is what everybody these are the rails that every you know kind of deal was structured on is these documents hmm. anyway so that's the that's why i wouldn't be cavalier about saying you know everybody yeah. has to have a A profit market statement. Fair enough. I mean, I guess in the end, there's no point
1: in doing work, including analytical work, unless there's a purpose for it. But I guess Uh what we're saying is have some. There will be a time before you attempt to sell your business. And here's what what I would say. It's interesting that you raise that. Here's the flip of the, the mentality from e-commerce operating to e-commerce business selling. When you sell a product, if you, you know, super primitive about it, you'd stick something up with one horrible picture. And back in the day, you know, you could get away with that. I did that sort of thing in 2014. That's not the case now. And so if you're going to sell a product, you'd think about who's going to buy it, what the buying criteria are, you'd put some attractive pictures up. Now the equivalent, that the mindset shift, I think for most business owner operators is that the equivalent to pretty pictures is pretty numbers. That's oh, what gets financially yeah. driven buyers excited. And one, that's what they don't understand that the profit and loss is essentially a marketing tool at, at
0: some point in the process. So maybe one that's one thing. One JPEG of your income statement. <laughs> that's the image that's the picture you've seen. kind of well and that when it comes your to getting stuff. the initial thick i mean literally if you yeah. lift your business on yeah. something
1: like empire flippers where you know i'm not saying it's the best place to buy a, yeah. a business but you will get like five or six numbers and you will literally get some pictures of products and then you will get you know some some text trying to make the business as attractive as possible so it's kind of the part of the sales documents yeah. if you want yeah. you know so now that's maybe a a more palatable way of looking at it. You know, in the end, a profit and loss is a sales document, which is, yeah, there's a long way we can go with that, but that's the simple one. So first of all, yeah. financial metrics, trump marketing ones is the most important. But the second one, which again is a big tendency amongst even seriously experienced owner operators, I like got people in my mastermind that have been in there for multiple generations of the family business, and they still tend to focus on revenue for whatever reasons, yeah. and most, it's understandable and it drives everything else, I get it. But profit, not revenue is really, really critical to understand that you basically cannot sell most small businesses except as a multiple of profits. And certainly I think that from everything I've seen that's true in the e-commerce space, and it's so important to obsess about profit and revenue is only a prelude to profit, I think, when it comes to that side of things. Yeah, totally agree. So I know you're a very profit-centric entrepreneur, although you know, it takes time to adjust to that. I just well, think one, yeah. sorry, I was going to say one nuance to that is and people talk about growing their business, I would prefer, I think it's a very helpful mindset shift to think about growing the value of your business, which means the profit mm-hmm. times the multiple, really. And, you know, to get an idea, maybe even sit down with an accountant once a year and say, what do you think roughly the value of the business? That's a more healthy way of looking at the asset, I think, than we've grown the revenue, mm-hmm. therefore
0: we've grown the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to approach it. And yeah, I mean, I totally I totally agree with the emphasis on profit. obviously the revenue for your business is to some degree of vanity metric. People want to say they have a seven figure business because that's a vanity statement. And so if you're compelled by such things, then, you know, that's what you focus. But, you know, that's a little bit like, you know, don't be fooled by your own rhetoric, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I had
1: one client of mine, he said, he had this great phrase, don't be chuffing on your own exhaust. What a strange <laughs> idea. <laughs> so in other words, don't believe your own marketing. Uh, by yes. the way, the revenue is a positioning metric for buyers. I mean, and generally for people in the space to take you seriously for lenders as well. So yeah. it yeah. is important to have it, but you've got to recognize that for, from a business to business point of view, that's basically a marketing number. That's not really something you should take seriously yourself. You should make sure other people take you seriously because of it. If, if you like,
0: again, it's, well, that's it's a, marketing. You know? That's an interesting tension point there. So I guess to say, what you're saying is profit is the emphasis when you're in the sales process. But the truth of it, to your point there is that there are many, many buyers who aren't interested in a business that doesn't have a turnover of, you know, million, two, two million, three million dollars. I mean, it's, it's just too small of a venture for them to want to acquire.
1: Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com
0: forward slash profit habits. And so in that regard, it does matter. In terms of what you get for that business, profit matters.
1: Yeah. So I guess this is great. This is good, good nuance discussion here. So I guess you could say profit drives value, not revenue. Having mm-hmm. said that though, I want to put a third nuance on and the next point, which is this, that the actual, we'll talk about that later, but the earnings in absolute terms does drive the value in relative terms. So what I mean by that is this, if you've got a business doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in earnings, and we'll get into what that is in a second, what does that mean? Pre-tax profit, whatever you want, we can define in a second. The multiple that's going to be applied to that because it's smaller, more vulnerable, more likely to crash and burn. There are many, many businesses like that, so it's less rare. The multiple that's applied to that. So the relative value of that business is lower than a business doing, say, $10 million a year in, mm-hmm. in uh, pre-tax uh, profit mm-hmm. because it's more mm-hmm. stable. There are fewer of them, so they're more valuable. So there is something about the absolute size of profit which does drive value. And the revenue is a very quick proxy for that because otherwise you'd have to sit there and do you know, great maths with spreadsheets before you even talk to somebody.
0: So, the other yeah, <laughs> yeah the other um thing, sorry, we're, our preamble is taking on a whole show of itself, but yeah, anyway <laughs> but it's the other conflict. the other bit of that that's I think important is if you have a business that has that level of profit, let's say hundred thousand dollars of profit, what the implication is for prospective buyers is that you're not done investing in that business, that you're gonna have to either be a staffer yourself or add more capital to beef up the team. Because if it's too small, it implies that it's not a fully cooked business. Whereas if you say, well, we have $5 or $10 million in top line, you're like, well, you probably have a human resources person and a marketing person and a finance person. You probably got a fully cooked business there. And so buying a business that has that level of top line, you know, revenue, it, it does send a message that's also important to prospective buyers which is, I'm buying a business. I'm not buying a job.
1: Good. Now that brings me to the next criterion. I'm glad you mentioned that because really if these, this comes down to then dealing with profit in a slightly more sophisticated way, and this is waking a damn rabbit holes, but I want us to use what you just said as, as a sort of sanity check. So you got to define what earnings metrics you're going to use. So there's operating mm-hmm. profit, EBITDA, SDE. And I'm sorry to get into technical detail, but I think this matters a lot. And this is the sort of thing where a business owner, operator who until now, as you said, has grown, maybe even a seven figure business. without fussing about this may want to talk to their accountant to get some mental clarity. So I would say this is my take on it. You may have a different take on it. So let's discuss. So operating profit, I would say relatively straightforward income minus direct costs minus overheads. So we're not doing with tax, we're not doing with interest. So we're assuming that there's no interest or any loans in the business at this point. EBITDA, so earnings before interest, tax depreciation, amortization is all of the above minus appreciation and amortization. So in other words, you're stripping out the non-cash costs. Now, the important thing is everyone talks about EBITDA when they're talking about a businesses doing maybe a million dollars revenue and maybe whatever, $100,000, $200,000 profit. Now, I think that's just an inappropriate metric because of exactly what you just said, because a bigger business, you can apply a bit dirty because they have got their staff there and you're not buying a job, you're buying a business. Whereas SDE, seller discretionary earnings is basically the income minus direct cost minus overhead, whatever. But then it includes the actual cost of running a business because often the owner operator isn't really paying themselves properly. And this is, you know, not at a market rate for for managing a, a business full time. And this is where, you know, whatever num whatever num name, sorry, is the word I'm trying to say. Whatever name you use for it, Ste, or whatever this this smorgasbord of terrible acronyms and abbreviations. Really, what I would say is earnings after you paid for management is really important if you want to buy a business. Yeah. Equally, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people out there who are happy to buy a job. So that's where the the market really splits in two. And I think it's really, really important to be clear-minded about this and and think this all through quite complex. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, No, I mean, it makes a a ton of sense when you just think about what's leaving when you buy the business. Yeah, absolutely. What's leaving is the prior owner and what roles did they play? And, you know, if they were the CFO and CMO and CTO and they're leaving, you've got three, you know, three roles to fill. Well, so there's implication there for expense, you know? And so you, that's kind of a way to look at it is what, what's leaving when you, when you sell the business and is there replacement dollars in the budget to rehire those people? Yeah. That's the thing that you're, you're, you're gonna tussle over is, you know, what, what's this a fair value of the business if in fact the, you know, prior owner is doing four jobs. Well, are they paying themselves for doing those four jobs? And you're like, yeah, that's, that's the tricky part of it is, uh, you know, how do you establish valuation when they, they may be, they may be paying themselves fairly, but they may not be, but nonetheless, there's a pile of money there that they would consider to be profit that they're withdrawing. The question is, can you run that business going forward, you know, Mm -hmm. in the same way? You know, you know, after buying it barely, Th- those are the, that's the hard part of evaluating a business. It's kind of got staffing co-mingled in with the, the income and the expense. Well, let me put the, it this The owner way, staffing, it, you know, the owner's yeah, staff. So yeah.
1: Got it. So a couple, couple of points on this, and this is a really, really critical point, by the way, we're getting into the complicated stuff up front somehow, but that's fine. I mean, this is really the stuff you've got to sit down and, and really think through and educate yourself, talk to brokers, talk to your accountant. Talk to other people who sold businesses and and really get a handle on because here's here's my thinking. So most people are more familiar with property or real estate, as you call it in the States. <laughs> Ironically, because we have royalty and you don't, but you know, property, whatever, houses, condos, flats. Broadly, there are often more than one set of buyers for any entity or s as- asset that's true for businesses, due for real estate. So let's take real estate is a simple example. I've got a property that I own that I lent out or real estate. Uh, it's a house, and there are two distinct pools of buyers for this, which is quite a good simple metaphor for business selling. One is people who want to buy it and live in it. And uh, that's a bit like people who want to buy a business and operate it. The other one is landlords. In other words, people who want to buy a business and and, uh, have it operated for them. They will pay different money. In fact, the money for for this, I've been, had it valued by an estate agent. The money that a person who wants to buy this property for was 200,000 pounds, about $240,000. The money that a landlord would buy it, if I have a certain type of license, which I can't get at the moment, would be about Mm -hmm. 245,000. So there are two different markets. So that pushes the average kind of market value of that house up if I can sell Mm -hmm. it to landlords so that to put it, to boil it back down Mm -hmm. for business owners, if your business can be operated without the new owner being present, that gives it a much broader field of people who will be interested in buying it and therefore pushes the valuation up, in my opinion. That doesn't mean you can't sell it as a business that demands an owner-operator to sit in it the whole day and work it. But that, in my opinion, reduces the size of the field of of buyers and thus pushes the value down. That's my take. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to the e-commerce leader. We're in deep waters here straight away with trying to figure out... How to even frame the discussion around evaluating a business that you should be buying. Or for that matter, if you're on the selling side of the equation, the criteria are the same. You're just looking at it from the opposite side of the table, as it were. So hopefully you've found this profit and loss, um, versus revenue discussion useful because this is one of the first things you've got to get to grips with in our next, um, episode on this topic. We will hopefully get to grips in a slightly more straightforward way with a list of uh, nine, financial KPIs that uh, we'll be discussing when it comes to buying and evaluating an e-commerce business. If you find this helpful, don't forget to subscribe to the show, The E-Commerce Leader at any good podcast app near you. And of course, we've got show notes over at theecommerceleader.com if you want to check those out as well. Thanks for listening. Speak to you in the next show. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash Profit Habits. That was the Ecommerce Leader Podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. We offer you free help on our website, including PDFs, videos, and mini courses on topics like traffic, product, and sales channels. Some are for Amazon, most are for any sales channel. To get those and to stay up to date with our podcasts, go to www.theecommerceleader.com. Thanks for listening.